I'm Linda van Tilburg for Biz News. We are now truly counting down to the 2024 elections, which, if you look at opinion polls, will definitely be a watershed election. And joining me is political analyst Muleti Mbeki, so we can talk a little bit about what we can expect. Hi, Muleti. Hi, there. How are you? Thanks again for joining us. Pleasure. Well, if we look at the opinion polls, it keeps on saying the ANC might end up below 50%. Do you think they're accurate? Well, we, we actually have a, an accurate figure, which came from the local government election in November 2021. Now, that was not speculation. It was not an opinion poll. It was the voters. And in that election, the national tally of the ANC for the first time was below 50%, and it was 46%. So we know for a fact that the ANC has fallen below uh, 50% from a real election, which was the, the, the local government election. So yes, the, the expectation is that the ANC will, will fall below 50%. Well, the last time I spoke to you, you appeared to be in favor of a leader rising from the rank of the business sector, and it's actually starting to happen. So we've had Rise Mzanzi. Now I see Roger Jardine's name is mentioned. He had talks with the DA. Is that what you had in mind? Not exactly what I had in mind. Wait, my, my own view, view is that we need the real captains of industry, i.e. the owners of capital. Songa Sozibi was an employee, I think, of a mining company called Extrata, if I'm not mistaken. And then he was an employee of Business Day. He was an editor of Business Day. Roger Jardine has been uh, an employee of uh, Avenge, the engineering company. He was he was made chairman of of uh, first rand holdings, but he was director general, which is employee of the Department of Arts and Culture. These are not owners of capital, these are managers. My, what I meant by business, I mean the real owners of capital in South Africa. I, I won't name names, I think you know who I'm talking about. I was just about to ask you who you want to refer to. <laughs> no, I don't think I'll, I'll name names. But that's those are the key people in the country. Of course, they employ managers, so or they may assign their managers to stand for for elections. I don't know, but but for me, the critical people are the guys who own our banks, are the guys who own our retail companies, are the guys uh, who own our automobile and who own our industry. Those are the people I was talking about. I wasn't talking about the managers of the banks or the managers of newspapers and so on. Well, can we turn to the DA? Because the DA was speaking to Roger Jardine about a future leader. Do you think that was a real discussion? Because um, we always remember what happened to Rompella and Mampella. Or do you think it was just to appease their backers? Well, I, I, I really don't know what, what happened because 
we are all dependent on on what is reported in the in the media from what i heard the people who who are funding the da uh, and this, that is public is is the open i am a family the female side of it uh, and and uh, and michael Leroux, those are the main funders of the of the da according to published information uh, the story is that they are the ones who are saying to the DA that they should work, uh, involve uh, Roger Jardine in, the, in, the, in their leadership. How true that is, I have no idea. Well, can we look at the multi-party charter and the and the opposition parties? Because if the ANC falls below 50%, do you think they have their act together? Is the multi-party charter what we need at, to for people to get together and be a real opposition for the ANC? Well, th- that's so speculative. The, re- the reality is that we, we have independent candidates and, and, and we have political parties. I doubt if, indep- if, if independent, let us assume independent candidates uh, uh, acquire the the two hundred uh, of the national assembly vote, do they constitute a party? Will they be able to form a government amongst themselves? So the, those are the unknown questions about the independent parties. If the ANC remains the largest political party in in the country, which the expectation still is that. Even if it falls below 50 percent, it will remain the largest political party. Then, technically, uh, it will probably have to form uh, the government, which means it has to put together the coalition that 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 constitutes the government. So, it still becomes remains a central player in the in the politics of the country. Of course, it's it's a uh, if it needs coalition partners, it means that its 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 programs get diluted by the compromise it had to strike with with the coalition partner. So there there are a number of very interesting unknowns that are coming up in the in in the coming election. But 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 uh, don't hold your breath. There are no miracles coming around the corner. South Africa is an old country. Uh, it's an old society, and there are no miracles that will come out of elections. Well, even the FD says the ANC will inevitably fail, but just not yet. Do you agree? I'm inclined to agree. It, it, but it depends what you mean by fail. If you mean it fails to get 50%, yes, I agree it is like it has already failed. It's not that it's likely to fail. It has already failed to get fifty percent uh, in the in the last local government election, but it's still the government of South Africa. So I think now it will still be part of whatever coalition. Uh, it will still be a central part. But the problem with South Africa is is not so much now who whether the ANC is there or is not there. The point is that the ANC has no policies to sort out the unemployment in South Africa. 
It has no ability to run the railway system. It has no ability to run the electricity power generation system. And I don't see anyone amongst all the multiplicity of parties, and we have hundreds of them, who have the capacity to to, to manage the railway infrastructure of South Africa. Remember, we have nearly 30,000 kilometers of open line of railways. I don't see who, if it remains in state hands, I don't see any party that has the capacity to manage our railway infrastructure. ESCOM uh, is the largest company in Africa in terms of assets. I don't see any of the 300 plus political parties or the multiplicity of independent candidates being able to make a difference to how uh, ESCOM runs, how it is managed. So that is really, to, for me, that's the challenge of South Africa, is what are the solutions to our problems. And I, all the, what I see and hear is people wanting powers. Of course, the South African government has a massive budget, 1.6 trillion rands. So many politicians and many ambitious young professionals want to get a, a, a piece of action of that 1.6 trillion rands, but, but I haven't seen a single solution other than saying, oh, we will ask somebody else to manage the railways. Well, that's, that's not your solution, somebody else's solution. So you clearly don't see a party that's going to come up with solutions with South Africa now. And um, if we look at somebody new rising now, it's a bit late, isn't it? Do you expect anything like what happened in Lesotho or what happened in France, that somebody comes from nowhere and actually takes this, comes with solutions and you know takes power in the country? Well, uh, I don't think our electoral system allows that anyway. Because you are sitting in the middle of this whole structure you are sitting with the proportional representation demand of the constitution. So so the one individual, I think, in South Africa, I mean, we, we've had many prominent individuals uh, since democracy, Mandela, Thabo Mbeki, uh, Halima Mutlante, Jacob Zuma, Sil Ramaphosa. Uh, some of these individuals have, promise to solve our country's problems. <laughs> but our problems are a lot more complex than individual leaders can solve. They're, they're, South Africa is an old country, remember. So, you know, it's more than, it's nearly 400 years old if, if you look at when the Dutch East India Company came here. So to the, its problems are, are not solvable overnight certainly not by individuals. And there's a report from the Human Sciences Research Council that indicates that the South African youth is undecided and they actually don't think they should vote. Um, is, that, is that going to be a problem in the election, the fact that such a large part of the population won't vote? Well, already we're having a large part of our population not voting. Uh, I think one of the, well, I'm sure there are many reasons, but one of the main reasons is the ANC voters. 
especially the ANC voters in, the, in our eight metros. Remember, our largest, most modern part of South Africa are the metros. And we have eight metros. And the most important metros are the ones in Gauteng province, which are the three metros, uh, which is Pretoria, Johannesburg, and Ekuruleni. And then you have Etequini in Durban, and then Cape Town in the, in the Western Cape. So that's the heart of, of South Africa. The ANC used to control the three metros, the vote, the ANC voters, used to be the majority of the three metros in Gauteng. It has lost that majority. And many of those voters don't support the opposition parties or they don't see that the opposition parties provide solutions. So they don't vote, they stay at home. So that is, for me, one of the interesting parts about South Africa. It shows that the, the, the most highly educated, highly employed, the whites, for example, surveys show that the whites are demotivated from voting. And they, they are not a large voting group. Given the, even within their demographic. So what I think that is telling us is that there was a hope that the ANC had a solution and, and many people voted for the ANC. Today, many of those people, the same people, uh, are disillusioned with the ANC but in, and they don't think the other parties... Are, are providing solutions. So many of them are staying at home and not voting. So that is the challenge that South Africa is sitting with. What other issues are you worried about? Violence before the election, violence in Kwazulu Natal, because I see that political assassinations are becoming more common. And um, just this morning, somebody was gunned, a businessman was gunned down in Santon. Um, are you worried about violence interference in the election? Well, well I did. You know, we have a lot of, uh, of us, we have assassinations in this country. As far as I can make out, they are within political parties uh, rather than between political parties. I may be wrong, but I think they are within political parties. And a lot of them are not to do with politics. They are to do with the so-called feeding trough of how of, is the jostling to get access to the feeding trough, especially to the tenders of the municipalities, of the metros, of the central government, the provincial government, and so on and so on and so forth. So they, 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 this, these are part, a big part of the drivers of the assassinations that, that are happening is access to the feeding trough uh, through the tender system. Yeah, a high-profile DA politician was gunned down. Was that because the DA is making in, starting to make inroads in Kwazulu-Natal? I doubt it myself if it's to do with that sort of thing, with making inroads in, in, 
I mean, the, the Indian population, for example, in, in KwaZulu-Natal, votes for the DA. And it has been voting for the DA for several, for quite a long time. So I don't think that is necessary. But, you know, these are issues that, that have to be investigated. But we can speculate about them. But um, Are you expecting, if there's a coalition, if the ANC is looking for partners, that it would first go for small parties? And if it can't, could there be a coalition between the ANC and the DA? And what about a coalition with the EFF? Well, the, the ANC already has a coalition with the EFF in Johannesburg municipality and at Ekuruleni municipalities. So the the skies haven't fallen in because of that coalition. So I think that is possible, a coalition between the ANC and the EFF, in the same way that I think the, the ANC has coalitions in municipalities elsewhere with the DA, Remember, there isn't really much difference between these parties. It, 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 it's, it's not like, like like in Europe where you have Christian Democrats versus Social Democrats, where you have big programmatic and ideological differences. You don't have that amongst our political parties in South Africa. They are mo- mainly jostling for uh, a place in the sun rather than that they have different agendas. So there isn't such a big difference between the ANC and the DA. And remember, the EFF, the main program, the main agenda of the EFF is the ANC's Freedom Charter. It's the ANC which was drawn up in 1955. So so the the, the 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 EFF and the Freedom Charter was it was a moderate program. It was never a socialist program. Mandela mentioned this many times that this is not a social program. It is uh, intended to create a, a level playing field so that, in terms of opportunities in business, it it was never in interest. It is not its intention to create a nationalization under the Freedom Charter, to create a socialist state. And he emphasized that he is a support, the ANC and himself are supporters of the British Constitution, of the American Constitution, that the ANC has never opposed capitalism. So you can see all, we have a lot of political parties in this country and we are looked desperate as voters looking for something of interest from them, but actually they are a very they are they are center center right parties, and they they there are very little differences amongst themselves. So it's individuals. So our politics tends to be about individuals, and what individuals are saying, what they are standing for. But individuals can't solve South Africa's problem. So we, I think we are a new d- democracy, let me put it that way. And, and we're still quite a long way in, in building a real democratic uh, system in South Africa. 
Do you expect because of all this a very low voter turnout? So I expect a very low voter turnout. The the introduction of the so-called independent candidates, uh, nobody knows who these people are. So how are we going to vote? How are the voters going to decide who to vote for? If he, on the voting uh, paper, there is a name of Joe Blods who we know nothing about. <laughs> that, that who is going to vote for this Joe Blods? Probably nobody. So you could end up with a, with a situation whereby the so-called independents disappear anyway. And in any case, as independents, you can't form. They can't form a cabinet. You have to be a party to form a cabinet. Individuals can't form. And so there are lots of, uh, there's a lots of problems with the new electoral act that, that the constitutional court and civil society has worked and the ANC have put in place it complicates the governance of the country, but but it doesn't solve problems. Do you expect the ANC in the run-up to the election suddenly to come up with 24 hours of electricity in Soweto and other metros? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's not going to happen. The, the ANC has been trying to solve, or so it says, has been trying to solve the electricity problem since 2007 and that's how many years ago 14 15 years ago and it hasn't solved them in 15 years it, it can't solve them now in, in in the coming six months before before the election the expectation is that the election will be sometime april or may which is normally when we hold elections there's been um, it's ten years since uh, this week since Nelson Mandela died, and I saw, saw programs all over overseas about Mandela's legacy. And then they go and interview people in the townships, and some people would say, "No, the deal that he got wasn't the best deal we could have had." What do you say about the criticism that there is against Nelson Mandela's legacy? Well, I think the deal that Mandela or the ANC got for, from the National Party was the best deal they could get. It, it's actually much better. It was a much better deal relative to their real strength on the, on the ground. The National Party was a very formidable government. Uh, it had a, it had a functioning army. It had a functioning police. It had a functioning civil service. Uh, and the ANC had tried since 1960 to try and undermine those structures, and it and it hadn't succeeded. So I think the ANC got a very good deal. We have to be thankful to Mandela's leadership uh, for the deal that he produced, which is the constitution that we have in South Africa today. It's a good constitution for for our country. Uh, of course, there's lots of room for improvement, but it's a, it, it's a good constitution for our needs and for our purposes. I wouldn't say it's the best in the world, but I think it's a good constitution. 
So I think people who know nothing about the reality of of, of South Africa uh, at the time uh, of of between let's say between 1950 and 1990, they couldn't know what the real South Africa looked like. The National Party built a formidable army and a formidable military industry. It was no pushover, not by a long shot. In fact, I talked to Pete Botter. I did ask him, why did they negotiate when they negotiated? And Pig Botter's answer, and I had good relations with Pig Botter, Pig Botter's answer was that their most immediate fear were the whites, because the whites would not accept the destruction of their standard of living to defend apartheid. He said that was more the immediate uh, challenge that they were faced with. What, what, was that the, the whites were going to turn against the, the National Party government for, for destroying the standard of living of the whites in order to protect the apartheid system. He said that was more of an immediate threat uh, to, to, to the National Party. So they had to negotiate. So, you know, South, as I keep saying, South Africa is an old country with a lot of moving parts. Uh, but many people think it's because because of the notion of apartheid, people got to thinking that South Africa is a one-dimensional society. Whites hate blacks, so blacks hate whites. They thought they think that's what South Africa is about. It was never about that. It isn't about that today. It has a hugely complex social structure. It has a very complex economic system. Uh, it uh, it has all those things, and you you have to put in a huge amount of effort to try to get to understand how South Africa how South Africa operates. You've been a critic of BEE for a long time, so that's is that the way to build South Africa, or to it's give not, that? It's not. You see, this is a manifestation of, of the colonial mindset of the ruling elite in South Africa. The ruling elite in South Africa ha has this inferiority complex. And it wants to be like white people, but it wants to be like white people through consumption rather than through being productive. So it wants the white people to give them what uh, assets to consume. That's what black economic empowerment is. So this is not an elite that is a production-oriented elite. That is a creative elite like you see in Asia. The, this is a, 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 an elite that's riddled with inferiority complex towards white people, and it feels it cannot create its own world through its own risk-taking and hard work. It must get wealth given to it by white people. So these are mega fundamentals of the South Africa problem, which, which, which is why our railways fall apart, because the elite who inherited them are, not only have no skills, but they don't see them as important, because 
all they see them, they want is to use them to consume, not to produce. So these are the fundamentals that people like. I mean, I read the article in the Financial Times by, by David Peeling. He, he has no clue what he's talking about because he doesn't understand the fundamentals of South Africa's problems. It's not actually the ANC. The, the, the ANC gave a false promise to South Africa. Cyril gave South Africa the false promise that he can solve the problems. But in real, in real terms, they haven't got that capacity. They haven't got the foundation. Where we have to look at, South Africa today is floating because of the private sector. And the, re the political elite has no role in the, in the private sector. If anything, it's undermining the private sector through mismanagement of those aspects of state assets that impact on the operations of the private sector, like the railways, the ports, electricity, and so on. So I, I think this is important to try and put across. I don't know if we talked about it last night. That's okay. And and do you think it's time to abandon B? Uh, it should never have been adopted. It should never have been adopted because for reasons I've... It reinforces the inferiority complex of the black people. We, we want to build confidence in our black population so that they can start to take risks they can have the confidence to say, okay, I can run, a f I can own a farm and I can manage a farm. I can own a little enterprise and I can run it. BEE tells you, I can't own anything. I need a white person to give me wealth if I need wealth. I can't create wealth myself. So it reinforces the inferiority complex that the black middle class and the black elite inherited from the colonial period. Many people keep saying, why are we not like the Asian tigers? They keep saying, we must emulate the Asian countries. We must emulate South Korea. We must emulate Taiwan. We must emulate Malaysia. Why aren't we like China? Now, it's very, very important to, for people to understand why we cannot emulate South Korea, why we cannot emulate Taiwan. The reason, one of the most important reasons, is the ruling elite in South Africa. The ruling elite in South Africa, which is the black ruling elite today, are, were the product of colonialism. They were produced by British colonialism in the 19th century. And their vision of South Africa, ironically, is one, is colony, is, is, is a colony, is a successful colony. That's how they see South Africa. They visualize South Africa to be, for it to be successful, they think it would be a successful colony without racial discrimination, but a colony, not a, but, but a producer 
of raw materials nonetheless. And that's very fundamental to understand. In Asia, the elites in Asia don't, don't have that mindset. First, the elites in Asia are a continuation of the old elites from Asia. Colonialism did not destroy the old elites in Asia. So, for example, India has had a caste system before British colonialism. It still has a caste system today. So their society was relative, came out of colonialism relatively intact. Now, of course, I don't like a caste system, but, but that was Indian society. India had a Hindu religion predominantly before colonialism. It is still a Hindu country. South Africa, we had our own re religious ancestor worship, whatever you call them, before colonialism. We abandoned those. We now are a Christian country. So you have to understand that, for example, the, the industries that South Africa used to have below before colonialism have all been destroyed. So the skills levels of the population, like the handicrafts, have been dis don't exist. In Asia, they were never destroyed. The Asians carried on with their traditional skills. So they had the, the foundation on which to build modern skills. We didn't, we don't have in South Africa, the we have to almost start from scratch with the majority of the population. And by the majority of the population, I mean the African and the Kalans. The, between themselves, they are nearly 90% of our population. So they don't have the skills. So we have to rebuild South Africa uh, in a much more fundamental way uh, in, in, in order for us to have the capacity to become an industrial country in the way that the Asians were able to become, to industrialize your South Koreas, your Taiwans, uh, and so on. So I think that's a very important part. Well, Lucien thank you so much. Thank you.